Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. And I, I just want to, I want to encourage you this morning. I believe it's in the unexpected places the unprepared and the unplanned kind of seasons of life that God often comes through the most significantly. As I read stories, as I think back just through my life and so many different times, uh, things didn't go as planned, and I praise God for that. I had, a, I, had a, I had a five-year plan right after I graduated high school and went into ministry school, and that encompassed me marrying a particular person that I didn't wind up marrying, praise God. It had, uh, involved me not ever being a youth pastor, and exactly the, hap- the exact opposite of that happened. It had nothing to do with me being in Pagosa. I was going to move to this big city and pastor at this church. It was going to be like, I had it planned out. And uh, God just strategically, in his infinite wisdom, knew exactly what needed to happen, when it needed to happen. And I'm thankful that his ways are better than my ways, that his plans are better than my plans. And he's not caught off guard by the fact that Adam couldn't sing this morning. In fact, I believe, uh, I'm not saying that God causes sickness. I'm not saying that God uh, just, just stole Adam's voice or something like that this morning. But what I do believe is that God can use any circumstance and any opportunity to bring about glory to the Son. Does that make sense? And I'm fully prepared that whatever he wants to do today is going to be good and better than I had expected. And so I'd like for us to, as we jump into the word of God this morning, to have this holy expectation that he is going to minister, that he is going to move, and that what is going to happen today is going to be for his glory. Amen? Amen. Guys, over the last number of weeks, we've been looking at Paul the Apostle, particularly out of Acts 26 where he is giving his testimony before King Agrippa. He has appealed to go before Caesar to plead his case as a Roman citizen. And uh, he breaks down his testimony before King Agrippa of his life before Christ as he persecuted the church. And then uh, we see him recount his Acts chapter 9 experience where he encounters the resurrected Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, where he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? And, and, and uh, he, he's blinded by the, just the glory of the Lord and he goes to see Ananias and all that fun stuff. We looked at that over the last number of weeks. And then we saw his life after that encounter, that conversion, where he set about to do the work of the ministry to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles and the Jews, uh, but primarily to the Gentiles and seeing the evidence of repentance fleshed out in how he actually did what God instructed him to do. And then last week, guys, we, we kind of saw the culmination of Acts chapter 26, where Paul kind of expertly weaves his narrative and his testimony as an evangelism tool to bring King Agrippa to a point of decision where unfortunately and, and just disastrously, he almost becomes a Christian. And so with all of that uh, kind of serving as a backdrop, uh, this week we're going to kind of step out of the, the chronological timeline of Paul's life and rewind a little bit and I felt the Holy Spirit lead me to Acts chapter 16 with a, with a pretty notable story of Paul and Silas in prison and wanted to highlight a few things out of Acts chapter 16 that I believe are relevant and pertinent for us here today in this hour and this moment that has the power and potential to change our lives. So if you guys want to join with me, uh, I, I don't anticipate this being a very long message this morning, but I I, I better be careful when I say things like that. Uh, Hopefully I don't preach very long, but whatever God wants to do, we're open to it. Amen? Amen? So jump with me to Acts chapter 16, verse 16. I'm going to read uh, the entire narrative here, so it's going to be like 18 verses. Um, So just just hold on with me, and then we're going to break this down. But beginning in verse 16, I'm reading in the NIV. It says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, 
we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. That moment, the spirit left her. Has anybody ever just been so annoyed you started casting demons out of people? I think that's happened to me when people have been riding my, riding my rear end when I'm driving. I just want to turn around and cast demons out of them because I'm annoyed. Not always, just because you're annoyed doesn't mean somebody's demon-possessed, but I, it could be. I don't know. I'm throwing it out there. Uh, we'll come back to that. <laughs> but in verse 19, it says, When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke, to the, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. This is one of my favorite stories. This is one of my favorite narratives uh, in the book of Acts here. Uh, obviously, it's dramatic. It's powerful. Uh, it's something that uh, preaches really well for Sunday school, like when you're trying to teach kids about these things, you know, like God breaking people out of prison. How cool is that? It's, uh, it's pretty neat, and uh, I love this. But when we, when we first jump into this, we see Paul and his companions, uh, presumably Timothy and uh, at least Luke are with him, but there's probably others along with Paul and Silas. Uh, they're on their way to the place of prayer. And uh, I believe that all good stories, uh, all good God stories, I should preface that. I was about to say all good stories. There's a lot of good stories that I have that are actually pretty bad that didn't start in prayer. Uh, but there's good God stories where God moves powerfully that begin in the place of prayer. And so they're headed to this place of prayer. Now, they weren't just there to pray. This was kind of the Jewish custom. They would gather there to pray, but then they would present and preach the gospel to the Jews that were there praying as well. And we encounter this demon-possessed slave girl who antagonizes and annoys Paul to the point that he casts a demon out of her. And I don't know, I was wrestling with this because I can't really comprehend like Paul's reasoning for going about days before casting the demon out of this girl, right? He, he, he's literally so annoyed after days of this girl following them around, proclaiming the message, right? We understand that she's demon-possessed and she's a fortune teller, right? She's predicting, uh, she's predicting fortunes and, and, uh, and potentially maybe the future here in some kind of regard. And she's saying true things about Paul and Silas, right? That's exactly what they were doing. They were going around actually preaching the gospel and actually telling people how to be saved. They were servants of the Most High God. And so my logical thought here is, man, well, Paul, why didn't you just, when you first encountered this poor, oppressed slave 
that is clearly afflicted by a demon, why didn't you cast out the demon right when you first encountered her? And none of this would happen. And I, I don't have a great answer for you on this other than Paul was human. Maybe he missed it. Maybe he was more in tune to the Holy Spirit than I am, and he understood that, uh, that maybe there was, there was some progression that was supposed to take place here. Um, maybe he was just in the flesh, and he eventually got so annoyed that he did. Regardless, uh, what he did was a good thing, eventually, where he does cast this demon out of this slave girl. I think maybe uh, he didn't want to bring attention to maybe unwanted attention from people. Maybe that could be a reason why he wasn't casting the demon out in the first place. Um, but what we do see is that God uses this as a catalytic moment. It's remember, uh, where we see the whole story set up here based upon this action of Paul. And it reminds me of the gospel accounts of Jesus, right? Casting out demons. Whether it be the the demoniac where he's casting out uh, demons at the garrisons and they recognize him as the Christ, the Son of God, um, or other, other examples throughout the Gospels where uh, basically Jesus just tells the, gemin, the, gemins, the demons to be quiet, to shut up <laughs> when they're saying, hey, this is, this is the Christ, this is the Son of the Most High, this is, this is the Holy One, and they're recognizing him rightly as the Messiah, and Jesus commands them not to speak, right? He tells them to shut up before he casts them out, and these things that are just kind of always puzzled me here. And the only kind of logical conclusion that I can present to you today is that neither Paul or Jesus were seeking demonic approval for the work that they were doing. And so while what the demons were saying were actually true, these statements that they were making this truth that they were recognizing, um, I don't think anybody wants a letter of recommendation from Satan, right? Um, I think that they're, I, I, I think when you're considering the source, that's thing, even if it's true, the, the, the character of the source that is, uh, that is prescribing that is not something that is necessarily, you don't want that as an endorsement on your ministry. Like, I, I don't really want Satan's endorsement on my ministry. Like, this guy's legit, you know? <laughs> I, I don't know. So what's the big deal about this whole thing, right? This is, this is what we're getting at. Just Those are thoughts. Those, those aren't like the revelatory, awesome parts of the message, but they're things that, you know, consume me as I'm reading the scriptures here that I wanted to talk about. But when we're asking what the big deal is about... Paul and Silas and the casting out of this demon. If we were to take a cursory glance, we'd say it's about money, right? Right? These, these owners of the slave girl, the scripture tells us pretty much point blank here that they're upset because they realize that their hope of making money off of this enslaved young lady who is spiritually oppressed, the hope for, for their, their future is gone here. And they're upset, they're frustrated, and so they bring this case uh, before the magistrates. And while the owners were obviously upset that they lost their way to make a quick buck, this isn't what incites the crowd to strip, to beat, to imprison Paul and Silas. When the owners actually take Paul and Silas to the magistrate, right, when they present their case before him, they don't mention the incident about the, the slave girl being, uh, having a demon cast out of her. And I don't know if maybe that's because they were like, oh, we don't want our like, ruse to be discovered here or our money-making schemes to kind of come to the light. Uh, I don't know. But what they're charged with is undercutting Roman customs by their teaching. That's what verse 21 tells us. This accusation comes in verses 20 and 21 of Acts chapter 16. It says, they brought him before the magistrates and say, these men are Jews. That's their first thing. This is happening in Philippi, which uh, was extremely hostile towards Judaism in, in Rome. There were a very small number of Jew, Jewish people to, to begin with in Philippi. It was wildly um, imperialistic under Roman advancement. There were a handful of Jewish people, um, but uh, not necessarily friendly to Jews. 
And uh, it says that these men are Jews and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And I really strongly believe that the heart of the issue here was the teaching that Paul and Silas were proclaiming being the gospel. You see, in Philippi, the charges boil down to this, that Paul and his associates were endangering the Roman way of life and it must be preserved at all cost. You have Paul and Silas, they're, they're showing up on the scene and they're talking about this, this, this revolutionary, this man, Jesus, that uh, is the king of kings and lord of lords. It's extremely offensive to those of, that, that would have seen Caesar as a god. It was, it was rebellious. It was all of these things. And the, it was contrary, the things that... These teachings of Jesus of Nazareth, the, the teachings of the gospel were completely contrary to Roman custom and Roman practice and the Roman way of life. And it must have been preserved at all costs. And so this includes the public and illegal treatment of Paul and Silas. We'll, we'll talk about the fact that it's illegal because they're Roman citizens. Um, the fact that they were beaten and they were, they were thrown in prison um, yeah, so uh, what was I saying with all that? Yeah, they're beaten, they're thrown into prison, they're ridiculed, uh, they're stripped, and this is all an illegal thing that's happening to Paul and Silas. Um, I wrote this, just like Paul's teaching threatened the Romans' culture and customs, which includes enslaving spiritually afflicted people for profit, evidently, Pretty jacked up stuff, right? Uh, the gospel still threatens the way of life for every culture. The biblical gospel will confront your ideas of comfort. You see, American Christianity for far too long has embraced the ideals of the American dream. But the biblical gospel is one of self-denial. It's one of taking up your cross and following Jesus. It's an invitation to come and die. Our culture revolves around this idea of self-preservation, self-advancement, and getting ahead where the gospel and the message of the cross is one of sacrifice. It's one of denying oneself. It's one of surrender in order to have victory, not victory demanding surrender. So as we continue on in Acts chapter 16, uh, in verse 25, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. I think it's interesting to note here, you know, they're praying. I think praying is a, a logical like thing that I would probably do if I got thrown into prison unjustly and I was beaten, I'd probably be praying to God, Lord, help me, right? <laughs> Save my life. Come, I'd, I'd be praying prayers like, David, Lord, would you look upon this injustice? Lord, would you come with righteousness and strike down my enemy, right? Bash their little kids' heads on the rocks or something like that. I, I, would, I would probably have this, in, for those that didn't get that reference, uh, forgive me. Uh, <laughs> not what this message is about, but I would have this indignation that I have been wronged, right? And God, would you come and fight for me? Those are the kind of prayers that I would be praying, but I don't know if I would be praying and singing hymns of joy unto the Lord. I, I don't necessarily think that that would be my response. And so I, I take note of that because Paul and Silas is response to injustice was not one of cursing men or wallowing in self-pity, saying, woe is me, I don't deserve this. They prayed and sang praise to God. In the darkest hour of the night, in extreme discomfort and unfair circumstances, Paul and Silas intentionally choose to worship. None of us in this room would have given them a hard time if they would have just kind of rested or fallen asleep there in the stocks in the prison at midnight, they've had a pretty bad day, right? They're bleeding, <laughs> they've been beaten, uh, 
we expect them to be probably naked here in extreme discomfort in the middle of a prison in stocks. <laughs> and they're singing praise to God. Just, just imagine being one of the other prisoners in there. Darwin, let's say you were in prison. You, you really just didn't want to pay your taxes. And you were, let's, let's think of a scenario, something that was real bad. Yeah, there we go. So we've got rebellious Darwin over here. He didn't pay his taxes. He's trying to incite a rebellion. He gets thrown in prison. We've got another guy. We got Joey over here. He killed a dude. I mean, just the, the worst of the worst, right? <laughs> I don't know where this is going. But you're in prison, okay? You're locked up with Paul and Silas. And you've, it's not fun. It's not bad. You've probably had a bad day. But you know that these guys have had a real rough day. And it's midnight. You're trying to get some sleep. And all of a sudden, you hear some joker start singing, Blessed be the name of the Lord. What is that? That's probably the exact song that Paul and Silas were praising. And, you know, you had some guy come in with the electric guitar and the other, and it was great. They probably thought they were insane. Like, they've officially lost it, right? It's kind of like the, the psych ward or something. I, I've never been in prison. I hope I never do. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I'm thinking about this. It's the, the craziness of, of the scenario where you hear these men singing praise to God in just the most unlikely of circumstances. They intentionally chose to worship. And I don't think they worshiped thinking that they were going to sing the right song and then God was just going to get them out of their situation. You see, Paul and Silas praised before the breakthrough. Before there was ever any tremors of an earthquake, they were recognizing the goodness and the faithfulness of God. When their present reality showed no signs of, uh, of changing their circumstance, you know, there wasn't necessarily any logical hope on the forefront that things were going to get better, they were still praising. Notice that it's in the midst of suffering, in a literal prison for Paul and Silas. They're literally in stocks and chains. They've been beaten that Paul and Silas begin to praise. They didn't wait till after the earthquake to begin to give thanks. They didn't wait till after there was some sign or semblance of change to, to really get motivated and start saying, thank you, Jesus. It was right in the middle of their pain, in the middle of their injustice, in the middle of their undeserved persecution that they begin to praise. And I make note of this because I want to be careful. We don't praise we don't worship. This isn't some kind of formula where if we just say the right words and we sing the right songs that somehow God's going to do something good for us. I think that, I think that the misconception could be easily drawn here that we, we just need to worship God and sing songs. When things are rough and things are bad, well, I'm going to sing songs so God gets me out of this situation. Or I'm going to give praise to the Lord. And it's more than just singing songs. But I'm going to give praise and attribute God glory and thanks just so this, this, this situation becomes temporary. Genuine worship, genuine praise and thanksgiving revolve around God and who he is alone. Not what he does or doesn't do for us. Because it can be easy to fall into the trap of going through the motions of thanking God to simply get a desired result. And I just don't want us to make that mistake. Scripture, though, is full of examples and of accounts where praise did precede the breakthrough. We think of the story of Jericho, right? In fact, uh, uh, I, I had a friend post on Facebook this morning from way back when. This, 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 uh, this particular lady was instrumental in me becoming a disciple and follower of Jesus. I first gave my life to the Lord and uh, like three weeks later, I was at her house in a small group in her living room, uh, spending time together in prayer and in the word and awesome. She lives in Louisiana now. 
But she posted uh, on uh, Facebook this morning, and I, I read where she was talking about blind Bartimaeus, how he cried out, Jesus, son of David, had mercy on me. And she, he cried out all the louder before there was ever breakthrough, before he could ever see. And we see that with David, right? He's appointing singers uh, where their full-time job is just to sing praise to the Lord. I think probably one of the most notable ones is the story of King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. They're going in to battle against the Moabites, and he receives instruction from the Lord, and he instructs the people that they're going to put out the singers in front of the warriors, in front of the soldiers to lead them into battle, that they were going to be led to battle in song, not with might, not with weapons, but with the singers. Can I be honest? If I was in war, which thankfully, guys, I, I almost joined the Navy out of high school instead of going to ministry school, and then Jesus changed my life. I'm so thankful for that because I am not the guy that you want defending our nation. I'm just, I'm just being honest. I'm willing to do it if I had to, but trust me, you would probably want me on the other side. I just, I just, I have too many accidents, okay? Just, just this week, guys, I'm working downstairs at the, downstairs on the, on the flooring of the church. I almost lit the church on fire. 100% honest to God accident, uh, just in case our insurance company is ever listening. Uh, <laughs> they just need proof that I am that, uh, that dangerous if I'm left unsupervised. It's not intentional. I, I put the fire out. We had a fire extinguisher. It was okay. You guys can ask me about that story later. I'm just not, I'm just not the guy. But if it was me, I don't think it would be logical if I'm trying to go into battle. I'm not going to pick, you know, I love Adam. But I'm not going to put Adam at the front of the line just singing songs or, you know, or, or something if I've got, like, men coming at me with swords and spears and arrows, like... Right? That, that doesn't work. But thankfully that the Lord... <laughs> oh, man, I love our church so much. God is so good. I actually have no idea what my son just said, but uh, people laughed, so I'm running through all different kinds of scenarios in my mind. But Second Chronicles uh, 20, verses 21 and 22 say this. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. And I, I just love this, I love this thought, and I love this truth that uh, we see here that they weren't praising God just to ensure victory. They were praising God for the splendor of his holiness. They were recognizing his character and who he was. And yes, victory came as a result of that. And I believe that that is something that is universally true for each and every person. If we're quick to honor the worthiness of God, if we place him in a right place, we will be victorious. Now, that doesn't mean everything's going to go perfect for you. That doesn't mean that you're never going to get sick and you're going to get a Bentley and all the money in your bank account. Don't take that wrong because obviously there are circumstances, there are trials, there are things that God has us walk through. But I can tell you this. If God has the right place of priority in your life, you will succeed in everything you set yourself to do. And I'm saying that because his definition of success is different than ours. Does that make sense? I, I, can, I can with confidence say you will succeed if Jesus has priority and a place of worthiness in your life and everything centers around that fact. Um, it may not mean that you'll have the most money in your bank account. It may not mean that you never get sick. But I do believe this. At the end of the day, he'll stand before you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You don't have to worry about him saying, depart from me, for I never knew you. That's the definition of success. If you know and are known by God. Think of some other Old Testament examples. I think of Job. 
right? On the worst day of his life, his entire livelihood stripped from him. His livestock, all of his camels, his sheep, his oxen, I think his donkeys as well, they're all, they're all killed in a moment, in an instant. And well, I was going to get to that, Lisa. Would you like to preach? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it's a bad day, right? Imagine if all your goats and your horses died. Yeah, I mean, just like all of your children died. It'd be, it'd be pretty bad, but Darwin's still there just to nag you. That's what happens with Joe. That was terrible. I, I just, I'm picking on people today, and it's not right. I'm sorry. It's a bad day for Job. If you guys don't know the story of Job, he's got a bad lot. Uh, Satan comes before God and uh, asks for permission uh, from God to really mess with Job because he sees Job as righteous servant and says, I can get him to curse you. I can get him to sin. And uh, just God says, well, you can, uh, fine, do, have your way, but you can't touch him. And so he robs uh, Job of all of his, uh, all of his people, uh, all of his family, his livestock. It's, it's a bad day, right? And I want you to take note of Job's response in all of this because this is, if there was ever a guy that had a right, I put that in quotation marks, to complain to God, uh, I think it would be Job. But here in verse 20 of Job chapter 1, he says this, At this, Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Guys, regardless of what's going on in your life, regardless of if it's a season of suffering, if it's a season where you're, you're experiencing injustice and wrongdoing, maybe you're blessed, maybe you're, you're highly favored and things are going well for you right now, it is always the appropriate time to worship. It is always the appropriate time to praise because God's worthiness cannot be dictated by your circumstance. Because we live in a fallen world where righteous people still are afflicted by a real enemy. I want you to, I want you to take note of this. Paul and Silas did everything right and it still got them thrown in prison in chains and stocks, flogged and beaten and stripped and humiliated. And they found themselves in prison for doing the right thing, right? You guys understand that? They were suffering because they were doing the right thing. And so this whole idea, just follow Jesus, it's going to be a cakewalk. I don't know where that started because it probably preaches easier. You get more people in church if you just say, hey, sign up for Jesus. It's like pressing the easy button. Sorry, that's not how this whole thing works. But the world that we live in is perpetually changing, right? How many of you guys here have had a really good day, right? Yeah, okay, glad. I'm glad at least most of you have had a good day. For those of you that have never had a good day, come hang out with me. We'll have a good day. We'll do something fun. It'll be great. All of you that have had a really good day, that just raise your hand. How many of you guys have had a really bad day? Everybody, okay. Only four people raised their hands that time. I don't, I don't get how that math works out. That was supposed to go. You get what I'm saying here, though, right? Life is changing. There's different seasons. There are going to be seasons of blessing and favor. There are going to be seasons of hardship and struggle. But at the end of the day, our circumstance cannot change our view of the holiness and worthiness of God. Because He is unchanging. He, he stays the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we're gazing upon him in the splendor of his holiness, the only appropriate response is praise. The only appropriate response is worship. Regardless of if we're in prison, regardless of if we've been accused of wrong, regardless of if we've been blessed and we're highly favored, the response should always be, it needs to always be praise. Now, I recognize there's a disconnect there because we don't always feel like giving thanks to the Lord. 
We don't always feel like he's worthy of worship. And this is where I believe, and I wrote down, I, I, I used the word um, intentionally, they chose to worship. Because physically, I guarantee you, they did not feel good about their circumstance and their situation. They were bleeding. They were hurt. <laughs> they were probably hungry. Yet they were still pushing through what they were physically feeling for what they knew to be spiritually true. And I believe that that is something that is important for us to wrap our minds around this morning. I think it's interesting, though, the idea of praising God in the midst of our pain. Praising God in the midst of our suffering. Because that's something that we only get to do this side of eternity. Because I'm promised a reality where there'll be no more pain, where there'll be no more suffering, where there'll be no more tears. Which I'm looking forward to that day where we have no more sorrow, where there is no more pain. But right now we live in a fallen world. I, I was particularly moved uh, um, when uh, Pastor Bill Johnson he kind of shared his story over the last number of months. His, his wife passed away from cancer. They were believing for healing, and it, it didn't happen that way. And uh, he preached the Sunday. I think she passed away on a Saturday. He preached the next morning. I, I may have those days. It, it was not very long after she had passed. and I only saw this little, little quip of what he had said, but he talked about how there's no greater gift that I can offer the Lord right now than praising him in the midst of my heartache and in the midst of my pain because I won't get to do this on the other side of eternity. This is something that's reserved for here and now. And I think that, that coming from that place is something that is so profound for us to understand that we have opportunity to give praise in the midst of injustice. We have the opportunity to give praise in the midst of pain and suffering that we won't have on the other side of eternity. Verse 25 tells us something um, very intentional here. It says that about midnight while Paul and Silas were praising and singing hymns, the other prisoners were listening to them. Others are listening to how you respond to suffering. Others are listening how do you respond to persecution, how you respond to injustice, how you respond to pain. And can I tell you, nothing frustrates me more right now than whiny Christians. I, I don't say that to be funny. Spend any time on social media and it's discouraging. It's depressing. There's a new YouTube video or a new TikTok video about somebody that's just in an uproar because our rights are being infringed upon and Christianity is under attack and it's just not right and it's just so wrong. And, and I'm not saying that any of the, all that stuff's unfounded. But I just wonder what the perception of the person that is bound and not following Jesus and and really has no, no desire or intent to follow Jesus when they see Christians with their biggest complaint, their biggest whine is about whether or not, you know, there's, it says Merry Christmas on your Starbucks cup. Like that doesn't, that doesn't make a lot of sense, right? But Christians are really good about making a big deal about things that don't need to be a big deal. I'm not talking about us in this room, but at least that's the, the portrayal of the media and I realize that's exaggerated in, in those things, but people do take note of how we respond to pain, how we respond to suffering. And I just want to make sure that our response is rooted in... I'd want to make sure that our response is rooted in the worthiness of the Lord, not just in how we feel. I think there's a lot of people with a victim mentality that kind of walk about that is woe is me and just everything is wrong. And if there were people 
that could have that testimony or that, that, that could, could possibly get away with something like that. And Paul and Silas, they're getting beat for something they didn't deserve. Jesus, obviously being the prime example of that, right, definitely didn't deserve uh, that, but yet he was silent before his accusers, right? I think of a, I think the, the most personal example I can think of is Glenn, Pam. I think of the suffering that he had and that he walked through. And I'm continually encouraged by the fact that he never blamed or cursed God. Ever once. At least not, not with me. I mean, he, he was always so faithful to bless the Lord of a, a man that was so, that suffered so much. But people took note of that. I know they did, because I did. It, it's impacted me of someone that you guys get what I'm saying here. It's important that we have the appropriate response to when things don't go our way. And that is one of keeping Jesus in the highest place. See, an entire prison was witness to the mighty power of God. A life was spared, right? This guy was about to kill himself. And an entire family joined the choir of the saints that day in singing praise to God because they didn't stay silent. I believe your praise and your, your willingness to vocally and loudly and publicly give thanks and praise to God in any and every situation and circumstance can pave the way for someone else to find their freedom. I think we need to be far more vocal about the good, the goodness of God than we currently are. And we may not be in a physical prison right now. We may not be bound and somebody beating us with chains. And so we should be thankful for that. But I realize that a lot of you are going through some stuff. I realize a lot of you have a lot of turmoil and a lot of brokenness. Marriages are struggling. Families are struggling financially. You're trying to figure out a way to pay the bills and get through the week or get through the month and just come and just survive and just, just get through. Can I tell you, even in the midst of your suffering, even in the midst of your struggle right now, I challenge you to be vocal about how good God is, to be vocal about praising Him. People will take note. And you never know what could happen. <laughs> Maybe God will have a suddenly where everything shifts and changes in response to your praise, and prison doors will fly open and, and things will shake and, and it'll be awesome. Maybe it won't happen dramatically like that. But can I tell you the appropriate response is to always praise. I know for me, uh, I joked about singing that, blessed be the name of the Lord. It was really popular when I first gave my life to the Lord. It's got a really boring bass line. And I remember just being frustrated having to play the same like three notes over and over again. But whatever. I was in ministry school. We were in Las Vegas, Nevada on what is arguably the, the worst ministry trip that we ever took as a school. I say this because everything that could go wrong did go wrong. It happened over the summer, so it was actually in between semesters, and only a, a handful of us traveled with our pastor to Las Vegas to do street ministry and do ministry uh, in uh, this kind of a, a bunch of different churches that got together. He was a special speaker for it. Our school was there. We were fired up to, to go. When we got there, on the way there, my pastor wound up developing severe kidney stones, and was in the hospital for the entire week. 
I mean, from when we got there, we pulled in, we dropped him off at the hospital, and they kept him, they kept him on an IV. They were worried about all kinds of stuff, and he was in the hospital the entire time we were there. So the church is already frustrated with us because the main speaker isn't speaking. Uh, we have a bunch of uh, ministry school kids there that have no direction, and uh, it's, just, it's, it's just a bad deal all the way around. So we're doing street ministry. We're having a, uh, I, I'm having a great time. Um, I wasn't particularly aware of all the drama that was going on, but I was with this other church, and we were doing ministry at the school, and I had my backpack that had my uh, laptop computer in it, my Bible, and a yo-yo. When I say that, my yo-yo was a pretty cool yo-yo. I'm, I'm weird. I get it. It wasn't a cheap yo-yo. I'll just say that. Like my journal and stuff. Um, and I did all of the media for the school and the ministry. Everything was on that computer. Not only did I do that, but uh, that was how I was putting my way through Bible college was I was doing graphic design um, with that computer. And so I, I, didn't, I didn't let that thing out of my sight ever. But I took my backpack off to help load a popcorn machine into the back of a truck for the street ministry thing that we're going. I handed my backpack to the pastor's wife and asked if she would hold on to it while I helped load up the machine. It took about five minutes for us to get it into the back of the truck. And I get out of the back of the box truck, and I go and ask her for my backpack. She's like, oh, I set it down right over there. And I'm like, okay. We're, we're in downtown Las Vegas, and there were three backpacks that she was watching. All three of them were gone. Right, right at the, I mean, just like that. And I'm like, no, no. My, immediately, my gut just sank. I'm looking everywhere for it. It's gone. It's disappeared. I'm in a, I'm in a pretty bummed mood, right, for the, for the rest of the day, thinking about how uh, anything is going to get better from this. I had clients that I was working with. I, I lost everything. I remember praying a prayer, God, I just pray whoever has that right now, you'd encounter him. And uh, I, I, prayed, I prayed like a David prayer. I was like, God, send the biggest, baddest angel and just destroy this guy. <laughs> I, I seriously prayed something silly like that. And I remember coming back to the service and really my, just having a stinky attitude. And just, you know, everything's going wrong. I, so much more went wrong that I don't have time to share. We had a kid get kicked out of the school because he molested a girl. The pastor's daughter of the church. I'm talking like... It was the worst kind of ministry trip that you could think of, and everything was just going wrong. And in, in, in all of this, I had invited one of my best friends to come with me because he was thinking about joining the school, and this was his trial trip with us. The school was awesome. This trip was not. I'm so grateful for the ministry trip, uh, or so grateful for the, the actual school I went to, but this was bad. And uh, so just everything going wrong, and I remember sitting there, we had a rule, we had to turn our phones off before we went into service, and so I turned my phone off, and uh, I just remember being overwhelmed by how good God was, and I came down to the front of the church, and they started singing that, blessed be the name of the Lord song, you give, you take away, you give and you take away, and so I just said, God, you're good, regardless of what's wrong, I'm going to praise you, I'm going to worship you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing with everything inside of me. And I, I used to be a little more nimble in my, uh, in my younger days, and people would make fun of me because I would just always want to jump. And I had kids that were like, what's wrong with that guy? He jumps on the slow songs, doesn't he know? <laughs> Whatever. I was just so excited about the Lord, and so I started worshiping. And, uh, you know, I don't know how long into the song, uh, my phone starts going off that I had just turned off. And I'm like, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> You know, I start rebuking my phone, and I'm like, what the heck? Because I thought I was going to get in trouble, you know? Uh, <laughs> I turn my phone off and start, start singing again. And I'm just like, God, I'm going to praise you. Just no distractions. You're good. My phone starts going off again. So I look at it, and it's a, it's a Las Vegas phone number. And I, I, felt, I felt like I was supposed to answer it, so I did. And uh, there was a guy that had found my computer. He had opened it up. And he had said that I was going to keep it, but I saw that it belonged to your name popped up, and it said School of Ministry on it. And I've been running from God for a long time. 
I need you to come pick this up. He's on the other side of Las Vegas, in the middle of the middle of this service that we're doing. Me and my buddy, we leave the service. We drive over to his, to this house on the other side of Las Vegas. This is this is one of those things that I know, like it's a God thing because you just this doesn't happen, right? He's convicted. He's in tears, and he says. Uh, he, he told me that he didn't steal it, but that he had found it lying in a parking lot. And I was like, okay. And uh, uh, I mean, he gives me back my computer. We get to pray with him. We get to lead him back to Jesus. And he gives his life to the Lord there at this doorfront of his, uh, of his little apartment, gives me my computer back. I'm like fired up. I'm like, what in the world? This is awesome. I'm blown. So we go to a Starbucks. It's the first thing I do. And I make like a video and I post it on YouTube and tell, tell, me these, tell this story of like, this is what God is doing. How cool is this? And we had a bunch of baristas and a, a packed room of people in Starbucks that are all like, praise God, giving their lives to the Lord in a Starbucks. And so we finish this up and I go back to, I go back to the service and the service is wrapping up. And I'm like, yeah, God is so good. And it is like just weird you know like the service is like okay these people didn't just encounter the lord like i did and everybody's frustrated and i found out that a kid got kicked out of the school and all this stuff that was happening while i was just man blessed be the name of it was great now this is obviously an example again guys i'm not saying we praise god to get things but he is faithful he is faithful I think a lot of the times we we fall into the mentality that God is deserving of our praise after he does something for us can I tell you that if he never does another thing for you if you're never blessed with another job if you never have an increase or a raise If everything was stricken from you in a moment, in an instant, he'd still be worthy of praise. Because he did, he, he did everything that he could possibly do for us through his son on the cross. And on this side of eternity, there's not something more that he can do that's better than that. But he is a good father and he gives good gifts and he does bless his children. But even when he doesn't, he's still good. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.